0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital as once again we ensure we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on the programme today by Helen Thomas. Helen is the head teacher of Alma Primary School based in Ponder's End, Enfield. Helen, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on today's programme. Hello. Real pleasure having you with us, Helen. Um, the purpose Thank of you. this discussion, first and foremost, is to establish your take on leadership. So, if we dive in by just taking that word leader aside for a moment, I'm interested to understand what that word means to you. What should a leader be in your eyes?
1: In my world, um, as, a, as a leader and a first time head teacher, it's really been um, a facilitating role, I would say, um, very much about developing developing other professionals in our school it's about facilitating about building communities um so very much uh a kind of engaging with your public with the wider public um of our community and our families so quite a different role i imagine to in a corporate role so we're very hands-on very pastoral in lots of ways um and we do lots of things ourselves so it's it's very much of a, a kind of a get in, get your hands dirty and get going with it every time something happens. Um, we are always about being strategic, always bearing in mind what needs to be done. So at the back of our mind all the time is the the kind of requirements from outside agencies. So all of the statutory guidance that, that we have to follow alongside all of the other issues that we deal with on a daily basis So it's not a a kind of a one-size-fits-all and different Mm -hmm. head teachers will have different leadership perspectives.
0: Exactly. Um, Leadership does come in many different forms and no one size does fit all. Absolutely. People react to different things in different ways. Mm. So, Of course, you have to be flexible as a leader. And I think that's incredibly relevant as well in the here and now, isn't it? With the emergence of COVID-19, of course, the impact that that's had on education amongst other industries and on communities as well. Um, Talking of COVID-19 and the fact that it does affect different people in different ways, just how challenging has it been from a mental health perspective, sort of managing. Not only your own, but also that of your staff members and even the pupils of the school as well.
1: I think I I think this is such a, a diff we're used to, you're right, we're used to being flexible, we're used to dealing with mental health issues and we're used to thinking about the well being of our families, our children, our staff. This was completely different in lots of ways because we can usually control some of the things we do. This was completely beyond our control and one of the things that did come up was with us was that we we couldn't anticipate how people would react so we couldn't anticipate how anxious people would be we couldn't anticipate how they would react to being asked to come into work in this when we were first after lockdown and people asked to come into work that was really difficult because people were really frightened about coming in as were our families as were of the children and so that was a very unique position for us to be in. Um, I think those of us who've been in work have coped with being in work better than those who haven't and I think we anticipate more issues with staff well-being in September than we do now when we've got more people in, more children and we're dealing with families who are, um, who've had to deal with situations outside as well. I think with our families safeguarding has been such a big priority for us so we have luckily for us we have a school counsellor who has also worked with us to, to support families but it's the the num the amount of contact we've had to have with our families has been immense so literally every week somebody has been calling families and especially our vulnerable families if they haven't been in school we've been calling we've been going around we've done all of the the checks We've worked with social care to help struggling families, especially families who've come to our attention where they're suffering um, at home. And a huge number of our families have been really struggling with being made, being made redundant, being being out of work overnight. Um, we've also seen that big increase in domestic violence situations. So all through all of this, you you know you're building up to something in September where people are going to be really anxious about coming back. Some people will be fine, but we know we're expecting to have to deal with something quite different to what we would normally deal with. Um, and pr- uh, just a lot more of that um, pastoral care, really, on top of having to do mm. everything else we do on a normal day-to-day basis. Um, but our welfare checks have been ongoing since since the very first day of lockdown, the very first week, we've been working really closely with all those outside agencies like we always do, um, and still continuing to make referrals, police checks, all of those things have been continued. And that's been quite a big amount of work for all the teachers, even those working from home, making all those phone calls every single week and emailing and checking and then contacting other people to go round, um and things like that and we've seen i think that's the the mental health of our families has been really significant for some families it it has been not too bad but for others who especially the ones who've been kind of lost their jobs overnight and then are expe- experiencing all that food poverty and all of those things literally overnight they've got no income they can't pay their rent they it, that's what we've had to deal with at the very beginning, and then we could help those families um, through signposting or delivering food parcels and free school meal vouchers. We've done an awful lot of that as well, um, and that's been quite that's made us quite a hub for those people. Mm. So that's been quite I think that's quite difficult as well because I don't think some of, some of our teaching staff really realise how much poverty our families live in. We know we're in a deprived area, but I don't think they really saw it until they actually delivered food parcels and could see what was going on. And I think and then you're also dealing with the shame that people feel who've had to come and approach you for help when they wouldn't normally. And it's it's not easy for somebody to admit that they need help or they need food. Um and that's quite difficult um mm-hmm. for them. But luckily I think we've got extremely positive relationships with our families and so we were able to kind of identify them quite quickly. But that has been a huge amount of work in the last few months.
0: It certainly seems it, um, Alan. seems you've been uh, very, very busy with all of that. And I think you raised yeah. an incredibly important point as well, that when schools do return in earnest in September, it's not all going to be sort of plain sailing from there because you're going to have pupils coming back from social isolation, but they won't be coming back into that classroom environment that they were used to before. There will be some real fundamental differences there in terms of social yeah. distancing and bubbles as well. Um, with regard to when the education sector does get fully back up and running, um, do do you think that there are some features of this lockdown period that may become a customary part of the way that education works in future?
1: I think so. I think we've, you know, when we talked about flexibility earlier on, it was very clear. Very quickly, became very clear that we had to think about home learning in a way that we haven't thought about home learning in the past. And we are, we're not, we're not a rich school. We do, Lots of our families, we discovered, have what i think the term now is digital poverty and we discovered a lot of our families don't have access to um any kind of internet or laptops or ipads and things like that that they could access online learning um oh they were doing it through phones um and things like that which is not really easy for them and i think that that's one of the things that it's really thrown up for us even though we've managed to get at least 90% of our families are engaged with home learning. When they come back, that's something we really have to investigate further because providing online learning is not the problem. Our teachers have had to really adapt to provide to providing videos. And for some teachers, that's not the easiest thing. And teaching online isn't always the easiest thing. So they, they've adapted really well and really quickly. It's actually the children accessing it from home and I think that's going to be a big problem in the future, though it has made us in some ways look at how we are delivering things and how we are teaching because when they come back and some of our children have been in and have been um kind of trialing the model if you like, and actually they've been incredibly resilient children are very resilient as a whole, and they've really enjoyed coming back however the situation is, and they've been very good at. Trying to follow the kind of guidance, the rules, teachers have got used to it. I think children will come back and want to come back, and it's so it's more the parent anxiety in lots of ways that will be an issue for us because already we have parents asking if they can homeschool their children, if they if they don't have to bring them back. That's going to be the the biggest thing we have to deal with, I think I think the day to day running Once children love a routine and once we get the routines up and running and we're very secure in those routines and the safety measures that we've put in place that should that should be the kind of a uh, kind of an easier process if you like. I think it will be allaying the fears of all of our families and and staff as well because we know that we can't control what goes on outside our school gates. Um, that will be quite tricky. And, of course, if we have to face another lockdown situation or we have to close parts of our school, that increases the levels of anxiety. And a lot of my families and a lot of my staff actually are from those communities that are at more risk. Um, And you can see why. If, If we had to lock down one class, I could very easily see how lots of our families would not want to bring their children in at all so we're trying to prepare as best we can at the moment for mm. anything uh, but it's such an unknown it's not like a, it's not like a normal holiday where we know it's coming we have no idea when and we know you know or how so we're just trying to, we're just trying to prepare for everything um as much as you can prepare for everything in that situation.
0: Mm. And that's all you can do, of course, Helen, you're right. Mm-hmm. And in terms of yeah. getting the school ready for the, um, the full scale return of um, its pupils, have you sort of felt throughout this pandemic that what's been expected of you in terms of government safety guidelines has been clear enough, just considering the debate that there's been around all of that?
1: I would say, I think the biggest thing for us when it comes to the guidance is that I, uh, I heard recently there was something like 70 different pieces of guidance that came out. Within the period of uh, of the time we've been in lockdown, if you like, and that's a phenomenal amount of guidance to get through and understand. And um, it isn't hasn't always been helpful. Um, it hasn't been helpful when they expect social distancing to happen and then they tell you social distancing doesn't need to happen. So I think that was very difficult for people to manage and it's very difficult in a leadership role it's very difficult to then kind of relay that to staff and then still tell them they're safe when they're being told that outside you can do different things to the things you can do in school we were very lucky because we work very very closely with a number of other schools and we have some fantastic people working with our schools who've been able to sift through the guidance and create Risk assessments and framework for us to all operate from that really update the guidance all the time for us. Um, and without that, and without that kind of that kind of coming together and working in partnership, we would have really struggled. And I think if you're if you were a smaller school or a school that is on your own, I think as a head teacher and a leader there, that would have been really difficult. I think the anxiety levels among head teachers, especially if you're a new head. Would be it's just been phenomenal, and I think that's really been underestimated because I think the perception at the beginning was that schools are were closed for business, but we have never been closed for business. And actually, I would say most leaders have worked more hours while we've been closed than they have when schools open, because we don't we don't ever stand still, do we, as leaders, and we don't stand still as schools. So whilst all this was going on and we were doing all of the things we could do that were part of the COVID um, pandemic, we've also been getting ready for next year and how we're going to pick things up and move the school forward and move teaching forward because nothing ever stands still in teaching. So I think we're used to guidance changing quite rapidly from the government and that's never a new thing. But this was, it was difficult to manage and I, and, um, I can see that lots of people would have been are given more anxiety than they necessarily needed. Um I certainly think some of the days when you watch the Sunday briefing and then heard that something was happening is not helpful and then heard that it changed on the Monday on the news. Those kind of things just were designed I think to make head teachers just want to give up <laughs> and cry. But then we are resilient people. So we're pretty solution focused so I think on the whole we kind of brush ourselves down, get up and go, right, so what's the positive about this and what do we do? If that's the problem, what's the solution? And I think most schools are like that, really.
0: And thinking now, Helen, about the, uh, the future and what that might bring, just before we do just wrap things up on the, uh, the programme, over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, what do you envision for yourself and for Alma Primary and what do you really hope to achieve as you get to grips with the challenges of that new normal?
1: Well, that's the thing, isn't it? We keep calling it the new normal, but we don't actually know what normal is. I think looking, at, we have to think short term first, what are we going to do to address the issues that have happened? And how do we get those children back into the routine of what needs to be to be done to, to kind of plug the gaps, if you like, in their learning? That's very simple thing. I think I think it really is about looking at some of the things that we've done while we've been in lockdown have been hard to deal with at first, but I think it also gives us a chance to look at the way we teach and the way we do things going forward.
2: Sometimes it's hard for teachers to... something completely
1: different and being a little bit radical and. Just change what we think about certain things that we've maybe done forever, and saying no, we're not going to do it like that anymore. Let's be a bit more um, forward-thinking. I think for me, one of the biggest things would be that if you ask me what I would like to see happen, I'd like to see some investment coming into us with IT because school, school budgets are not the way they used to be, and actually, this has proved that there is this huge discrepancy and this huge kind of of our children in that they do not have access to the same others, and not you know equality is missing. And I think I'd hope to see in eighteen months, two years time that we can see all of the all of the language that you've heard from the government, from different departments about inequality and that kind of poverty that's around being and not just poverty of not having money but just a kind of cultural poverty that that is in some way addressed um, because it's nice to hear people uh, you know say, saying these things are happening and actually acknowledging these things are happening but really what we'd like is some action and we'd like to see primary schools being kind of central to some of the the kind of policy making that is out there we're not just child care and we're not here to just look after children while their parents go to work and it's fine saying to to schools, oh, you do a good job, you do this. It's in, But we don't want that to be empty words. And I don't want to be, you don't want to hear it's a kind of patronizing statement of, you know, you've done a really good job, well done, but you'll just have to find your own way going forward. There needs to be some shift in policy around what you want us to do and what you want us to provide for really, really disadvantaged children because we can't do it on our own and we we haven't got the funding to do it on our own. So I think somebody needs to kind of work with us to make some really, really big changes. Um, and that would be a really positive thing. Mm. But for ourselves, I think we we'll, we will do what we always do. We will do our absolute best for our families and our children, as we always do.
0: And let's hope we do see some positive changes in that sense sooner rather than later as we move through this. Um, I have Mm. to say, um, Helen, it's been a real, real pleasure having you join us on the programme today to discuss some of these issues. And, you know, I think it would be amazing to have you back on the show in a few months just to see how things are getting on both at the school and also discuss just what that new normal is shaping up to be like and whether that support is indeed arriving.
1: Yeah, that would be great. Thank you
0: it would be a real pleasure uh, for me to have you back on, Helen, just as it's been um, joining um, for having you join us today. Um, of course, when it comes to um, speaking again in future, the most important thing I can say in the meantime is do continue to take care and stay safe because we're not entirely sure how this COVID situation is going to pan out. So let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope that the trajectory is going to be upward from here.
1: No way. We're, we're at school. We're always smiling. At the end of the day, there's always a smile to be had somewhere. <laughs>
0: Absolutely right. And I think that's a fantastic message for those um, tuning into this as well. And just a message for those people listening in, do continue to be sensible with lockdown restrictions lifting. Look after yourselves, look after others. It really does make a tangible difference in saving lives. Um, I was today speaking to Helen Thomas, head teacher of Alma Primary School in Enfield. And coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary, Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is today an active member of the House of Lords, current chairman of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of course better known for being a prominent former Labour MP and Secretary of State. He became one of the most notable politicians among his generation, in fact during his political career, holding various senior positions in the cabinet of then Prime Minister Tony Blair and serving as the MP for his local constituency, Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough for 28 years, and that was all despite being blind from birth. He was then elevated to the House of Lords five years ago in August 2015 as Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough, his old constituency. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished the opportunity to speak with him. All of that is, of course, coming up next. Lord Blunkett, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you.
3: Um, well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19.